And uh, I'm really excited today because we're uh, launching into a, uh, a brand new message series. It's going to be our summer series. And so if you're a guest, if you're a first-time guest, uh, you timed it just perfectly. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up or turn it on. Head to the book of Galatians. That's a small little book in your New Testament. And this should also be uploaded for you in uh, our New Life app, which, by the way, if you don't have, you should have. Uh, if you don't have that app, I would encourage you right now, just go to the App Store, type in New Life of Asheville. If you just type in New Life, you won't find it. New Life of Asheville, all sorts of uh, goodies for you there on the app. And as you find Galatians, let me, uh, let me give you just a little bit of history and context. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. Galatia was not a city. It was an entire region, a quite uh, large region, actually, located in modern-day Turkey. And Paul had gone through this region previously. He had preached the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He had seen many people, pagans in this area of Galatia, uh, come to faith in Christ uh, be baptized. He planted a bunch of churches in this area for these new believers to begin to grow and mature in their faith. Paul has now la- left the area. He's gone someplace else. He's been gone perhaps a year or so. And now he's riding back to these churches because they were being hit with a very serious crisis. And we'll find out what that crisis is just in a moment. But before we jump into the book of Galatians, you should know that this tiny little book has shaped our faith in incredible ways. In fact, it's in large part due to this little book that we worship the way that we just worshiped, right? So if you look around during our worship, you see people singing, you'll see people smiling, you'll even see some people raising their hands. It's just kind of like this sense of freedom. We can just worship however we feel like God is leading us to worship. I teach in English instead of Latin up here. Our services are more than just rituals where people stand up, sit down, repeat something mindless. It's more than just religious motions here at New Life, in large part due to Galatians. Because about 500 years ago, there was a man, he was a German monk actually, named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther kick-started a movement called the Protestant Reformation when he nailed the 95 Theses Uh, These are like 95 protests against the church. He went and he nailed these to the door of his local church. And Luther just, he insisted that the church was doing and believing all sorts of things that were not in accord with Scripture. They were not found in Scripture. So this this book really, in many ways, was a catalyst to Luther kickstarting this entire Reformation. So, see, the, the thing was, after Luther became a believer... After he uh, began to follow Jesus in his life, he was absolutely haunted by his guilt over his sin. Maybe some of you guys could could relate to that. So even though he he trusted in Jesus for uh, his salvation, he was just absolutely crippled by guilt over his sin. And so, in fact, he would go uh, many times and he would uh, go and do confession with the priest. And he would actually go for hours and hours at a time. And the priest eventually got tired of Luther taking up their entire day with confession. And they were like, Luther, brother, you got to go do something else. So they gave him some Bible classes uh, to teach. And so uh, Luther began to teach through the, the Bible. Eventually he got to the book of Galatians. And his life was absolutely transformed by this book. 
He was never the same after he read the book of Galatians. It became his favorite book in the entire Bible. In fact, he even said, this is kind of funny, he said, if it were possible to marry a book of the Bible, I'd marry Galatians. That's how much he loved Galatians. He, he loved it. And, it, and it drove him to spark this movement that changed the course of church history. If you've ever read Galatians, it's not a long book. It's only about six chapters. You could sit down and read it probably in 15 or 20 minutes. But get this, Luther wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians, those six chapters, that, are, that commentary is 733 pages long. I mean, he, he loved Galatians. And if you're wondering, no, I did not study all 733 pages of his commentary in preparation for this sermon. But he, he absolutely, he was obsessed with this book. Uh, pastor and theologian in Manhattan, Tim Keller, he calls Galatians a little bomb. It's, it's just truly this little explosive book. And I can't wait to spend uh, the rest of the summer going through this uh, with you guys. Now, here's what's happening right now as Paul writes this letter in Galatia. Paul had planted these churches, lots of new Christians. Um, they had just believed the gospel. They're now following Jesus. They've believed in him for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. Paul leaves them for a short time, perhaps only about a year. And these churches now, just within the year that Paul's been gone, are being infiltrated with false teachers. And so these new believers are now in danger of being deceived by these false teachers. And listen, Paul is having none of it, as we're about to see. He was not happy about this. And so he opens this letter with an intensity, with a tone that's found nowhere else in all of his writings. Paul is hot. All right, Paul, Paul is a man on fire as he writes this letter to the Galatians with good cause, as we're about to see. And so in this letter, Paul is dealing with these false teachers. He's dealing with their false gospel, which is bad enough, bad enough. But the reality is every generation has their share of false teachers, right, who attempt to kind of distort the gospel for personal gain, those sorts of things. But the bigger problem for Paul is that these new believers, they were actually listening to these false teachers, so it's not as if these false teachers came in and they were like, hey, listen, guys, that's a bunch of baloney. You guys just go ahead and get out of here. That is not the gospel. They actually invited them in. They're listening to their teachings. They're starting to believe it. And Paul is very, very concerned with this. It'd be sort of like, imagine if, um, if the New Life elders and pastors went on a spiritual retreat of some sort. So we just, you know, we went off and we were gone for a month or three months or whatever it is. And we came back and we found out that there were some false teachers that some way, somehow, some way kind of like crept in here and they got up here on Sunday morning. They began to teach you guys false doctrine, bad theology, something that's not actually the gospel. You best believe we'd be hot, right? We would be on a mission to root out those false teachers and make sure that you guys were actually believing the gospel of Jesus. That's where Paul finds himself right here as he writes this letter to the churches in this area of Galatia. Now, these particular false teachers had come to Galatia from Jerusalem. And so these were, these were Jewish guys. They were known as the Judaizers, which means that they would come in and they would teach new Christians that, yes, you have to believe and follow Jesus to be saved, but that's not all. You have to believe and follow Jesus to be saved, and you have to become a Jew. So if you're a man, you must be circumcised, uh, you must follow all of the Jewish uh, rites and rituals and festivals and traditions, all those sorts of things. So essentially what the Judaizers would do is they would come in and say, salvation is Jesus plus. 
It's Jesus plus this, 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 and this. This is how you find peace with God. This is how you're actually saved. It's not just Jesus. That's not enough. He kickstarted it for you, but you've got to finish it by doing all these other things. And Paul's argument throughout the entire letter is going to be that when you add anything to the gospel, you lose the gospel. When you add anything at all to the gospel, even things that you might deem good, when you add anything to the gospel, you actually lose the gospel, which is precisely why at New Life, we want to be a gospel-centered church. We don't want to be a man-centered church. We don't want to be a pastor-centered church. We don't want to be a band-centered church, as good as they are. We want everything that we do to center on the life death, and resurrection of Jesus. There is hope in nothing else, friend. That's all we have. It's Jesus plus nothing for us. And that certainly was the case for Paul. That's what he's trying to get across to these Galatians. And so let's go ahead and jump in to this uh, potent little letter uh, in Galatians chapter 1. We'll cover the first 10 verses uh, this morning. We'll start in verse 1. This is Paul writing. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So he's preaching the gospel, first sentence. Verse two, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. So right off the bat, Paul says, look, I've been made an apostle. And that word apostle means sent one. I've been made an apostle by Jesus himself. Jesus himself has sent me. In other words, what I'm about to say to you, I'm not just giving you my personal opinion on these matters. I'm going to give you the exact message that we received from Jesus himself. So we see even in the introduction, he's getting right to the heart of the matter, right? He mentions the resurrected Jesus who gave himself for our sins. He goes on and talks about grace and peace and how that can only come through the resurrected Jesus and nobody else. He is preaching the gospel in the greeting. I mean, he's getting right down to it. Now, if you've read many of Paul's letters, familiar with his writing patterns, he normally starts off with a greeting like he just did, and he'll go from a greeting into a prayer of thanksgiving, right, to the church that he's writing to, almost without exception. That, that is his pattern for writing to churches. So most of the time he'll say things to like, uh, I thank God every time I remember you because of your faithfulness to the gospel. Or every time I think of you, I, I, I thank God because of the joy that you exhibit in Christ. And so he always has these prayers of thanksgiving for the churches that he's writing to. In Galatians, there's no such thanksgiving prayer. I mean, he greets them with the gospel and he jumps right into it. Paul is not messing around. He is ready to get after it. And here, here, here's why. Wherever the gospel goes, right? So it doesn't matter if the gospel is penetrating Africa or the Middle East or Asia, wherever it goes, amazing things start to happen, right? Like unexplainable things start to happen wherever the gospel takes root. Like life's change communities slowly are transformed. Marriages and families begin to heal. Churches are planted. Miracles oftentimes happen. But listen, here's, here's the danger. Because this gospel has been entrusted to people like you and I, people that are broken, people with, that, with clay feet, the gospel is always at risk of being distorted or perverted. 
And when that happens, when that happens, and it happens, happens oftentimes, God removes his presence and he removes his power from those movements. And that is why Paul is writing with such urgency. That's why he's writing with such passion to these Galatians. It's that important. Now, there are typically two ways in which we can distort the gospel. And Paul is going to attack both of those distortions in his letter. The first way that we can distort the gospel is what these Judaizers were doing. Because people like to add things to the gospel, don't they? People just like to add stuff to the gospel. I'm not sure exactly why. I think it's maybe because uh, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Maybe that seems too easy. So we think to ourselves, man, like that, that can't be all there is to it. So let me, let me help God out. Let me help God save me by doing these things over here, by not doing these things over here. So if you grew up uh, like I did uh, in church in the South, you maybe grew up and maybe for you it wasn't what the Judaizers were pushing. Maybe it wasn't Jewish rites and rituals and circumcision. But, but for a lot of us, it was like, hey, yeah, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to believe the gospel, believe what Jesus did. Plus, you know, good Christians don't smoke, drink, cuss, dance, or watch R-rated movies. Right? So that was like, if you want to be a Christian, yeah, you got to believe the gospel. And then here's a list of stuff over here that you shouldn't be doing either. See, we, we like to add stuff to the gospel. That is legalism, and it leads to slavery. So here's the first big idea that Paul's getting after this morning, here, if you're a note taker uh, today. Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. Jesus plus anything else, even if you think it's good, is actually not the gospel. That's the first way that we tend to distort the gospel. Here's the second way that we tend to distort the gospel, and Paul will address this later in his letter to the Galatians. We can distort the gospel by thinking, well, if Jesus really paid for all my sins, if Jesus really paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future, then I can just live like I want. I can just do whatever I want because Jesus has to forgive me. I've got my, my get-out-of-hell-free card because I, I prayed some prayer at BBS when I was eight years old or whatever it was. So now I can live like the offspring of Satan himself, and God has to let me in. Like, how perverted is that thought process? And Paul addresses this distortion of the gospel, specifically later on in Galatians, but also in the book of Romans. I want to read from you what he writes in Romans chapter 6. This will be on the screens for you. So you don't have to turn. But this is what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So some people are saying, hey, look, if God's grace covers all of our sins, maybe we should just sin more so we could get more of God's grace. Like just, we could just live however we want. We could do whatever we want. And we're just going to get more grace from God. And Paul answers that in verse 2. He says, by no means... How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, we died to our sin nature. Amen. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is saying, when you began to follow Jesus, Jesus gave you a new life. He gave you a new, a new nature. He puts you in a new kingdom. And so to people who kind of take the attitude, well, hey, I'm in. 
I'm in. I said some kind of little magical prayer when I was six years old, so I got my little golden ticket. So it's okay for me to sleep around on my spouse. It's okay for me to treat people in my life like garbage. It's okay to be completely uninvolved in the bride of Christ. It's okay for me to spend all of the money that God gives me on myself instead of investing it in his kingdom. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. No, that is not the gospel. That is a perversion of the gospel. The gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And listen to me, that changes us changes us. That doesn't mean that we live a sinless life. But man, when we sin, it, it grieves us. It grieves us. The, the Holy Spirit convicts us, right? The gospel is not a license for us to, to just sin with no repentance. And so people can distort the gospel either way. They can add things to the gospel and become legalists, Or they can try to remove the transforming power of the gospel by using it as a license to live in sin. In either case, you end up with a distortion of the gospel, which is actually no gospel at all, according to the Apostle Paul. So Paul is rightly fired up about this. He's very concerned with what's happening to these new believers in Galatia, whom he loves, who he's poured into. And he's he's quite frankly hot under the collar about what's going on. And we're going to see, it's kind of funny, you read this letter and you can, kind of, you can kind of see this building up with Paul, right? He's thinking about it and he's right and he just keeps getting worked up more and more. All right, we're about to see verse six. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, look, I am astonished. I am I am dumbfounded. I am shocked that you guys are so quickly deserting Jesus and turning to a different gospel. Now notice that Paul doesn't say that they're just deserting the gospel. He says that they're deserting Jesus himself. Friend, listen, we get to God through the gospel of Jesus. It is the only pathway to God. This word deserted in the original Greek it was a term for military desertion. So imagine if you could a, a Navy SEAL in the U.S. Army or the U.S. Armed Forces, the military. Imagine if a Navy SEAL deserted his, his command post and started working closely with the Iranian army. That's what Paul is saying is going on here. This is, this is complete betrayal. This is switching teams. This is not just going from like one solid church to another solid church. This is complete betrayal. For those of you like me who uh, grew up in the 90s, this would be like if Michael Jordan, who is, by the way, the best player to ever play the game, it's not LeBron James, especially after this last series. Let's go ahead and settle it. It's MJ. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time, period, the end. But imagine if you grew up in the 90s, Imagine if you could, if Michael Jordan left the Chicago Bulls to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Unthinkable. Unlike, I want to vomit just thinking about that, right? Could you imagine MJ in gold and purple? Like, that's, that's, that's sinful. That, that's wrong. Uh, to, bring it, uh, to bring it a little closer to home, we live in North Carolina. Imagine if Coach K left Duke to coach the Tar Heels unfathomable. Like that type of betrayal just shocks the senses. It causes outrage. A lot of you are outraged right now just thinking about it. 
like he would never leave us for them. Or we don't want him here polluting our school, you know? That's what Paul was expressing here. He loves these people, and he's wrecked that they are considering switching teams. Paul is fighting for the purity of the gospel, and he's fighting for these people that he loves dearly. And he's just getting more and more worked up as he goes through this letter. Let's pick it up in verse 8. He's really getting hot now. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul's getting a little crazy here, right? Some scholars have even been a little bothered, a little uncomfortable by Paul's writing here because this is essentially what Paul is saying. He's, Paul is saying, listen, if, if anybody... Even if I were to come to you and I start twisting the gospel, he says, look, even if an angel floated down from heaven and landed on this stage this morning and began to declare to you a different gospel, let him be damned. That's what that word accursed means. Let him be damned. Paul is using some pretty salty language here. Paul is getting spicy. He is so fired up, in fact, that in verse 9, he repeats the same thing again. If anyone adds to this gospel, if anybody subtracts from this gospel of Jesus, let him be cursed. Let him be damned. And you read that and you sort of think like, relax, Paul. Like, chill out a little bit, man. (laughs) Damning people, damning angels, if they tweak the gospel a little bit, like, what's the big deal? Paul, do you really need to get so worked up about this? You're making me a little uncomfortable, Paul. What are you, why are you getting so hot about this? And Paul's like, don't mess with the gospel. You can mess with a lot of other things. We can disagree on a lot of other things. Do not mess with the gospel. It is too important. And Paul is not backing down from this fight because he knows that when we say, Jesus did most of the work for us, but I got to do a little bit more to help him out. Like I'm too sinful. I got to do a little bit more to help Jesus out. I got to help him save me. He knows that that is a distorted gospel that is actually not the gospel at all. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he said three very important words. What did he say? It is finished. He didn't say it is almost finished. It's almost finished. So let me get off this cross. I'm going to raise myself from the dead and then I need your help a little bit. It's not what he said. I can remember when I was younger, sometimes I'd be flipping through the channels, and I'd come across um, WWF. You remember the ras- wrestling thing? Um, any WWF fans in here? We got like three or, f- three or f- five of them in here. I think some of you are kind of ashamed. You're like, I'm like, I'm not, you don't really want to claim it. So, but I remember sometimes you kind of be scrolling through, and I don't want to bu- burst any bubbles this morning, but it's fake. It's fake. It's, fake. it's not real. It's not real. It's, they're all actors. But the, the coolest thing is when they would, some, they would have uh, tag team matches. You remember that? So basically what would happen is you'd have one guy, and he would jump in the ring, and he would just work his opponent over. I mean, he would just, you know, fake beat him up really hard and throw him down on the ground and jump on him with an elbow or something like that. And the guy would be almost done, and he would run over, and he would tag in his teammate, Right? And his teammate would run in there, jump in there, and finish him off, you know, get him in a chokehold and choke him out or something like that. That's not what Jesus did, right? Like Jesus, Jesus didn't beat up sin, death, and Satan and then tag you in to finish it off. That's not what happened. Jesus did it all by himself. He didn't need any of your help. 
And when we add to the gospel, when we add to the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb, we cheapen the gospel. And according to Paul, we actually end up with something that is not the gospel at all. Now, here's the point in all of that. And this is the second kind of big idea this morning. The gospel is worth fighting for. The gospel is worth fighting for. If we get nothing else right at New Life, we must get the gospel right. Everything else hangs on this. Friend, we cannot afford to get this wrong. There are some things that are so important, that are so critical, that are so precious, that they are worth fighting for. In our new life, we have a pretty wide umbrella. We have people from just about every background that you can imagine here, and, and I love that. I love that we have People from Catholic backgrounds and Pentecostal backgrounds and Presbyterians and Baptists and atheists. And even a, we had a, met a Buddhist one time out of a Buddhist background. We got people from just about every background you can imagine. And that's awesome. We are not going to battle over non-essentials at New Life. But listen to me. We will absolutely die on the hill of the gospel of Jesus. We will die on that hill. It is Jesus Plus, nothing is everything. We will not add to it. We will not subtract from it. Listen, we want to live in this freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. We want to experience this life transformation, this new birth that Jesus promised us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen to me, there is no other gospel. There is no other pathway to God. You say, Chris, that is so narrow-minded, man. That is so narrow-minded. I think if somebody is sincere in their beliefs and they really believe it, that they should be okay, that they should be in. Look, if there were, if there were any other way to God, if there were any other way to God, then Jesus died in vain. If there were a thousand pathways to God, then there was no reason for Jesus to come and suffer and die to pay for our sins. If there was even one other pathway to God, then Jesus died in vain. He died that brutal, horrific death because that was and that is the only way. Now look, I'm amazed personally that God has given us any pathway at all because I know my heart apart from Christ? Listen to me. We are all rebels. Every last one of us in here. We're rebels. We're sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We have chosen other things over God again and again and again in our lives. And understand this. This pathway to God through Jesus, it's inclusive. Everybody is invited to find forgiveness in life in Jesus. Nobody's excluded from that invitation. This gospel is good news. This gospel is the greatest news ever. It's beautiful. Listen to me. It is undeserved grace to us, friend. And it is important enough to fight for. This is sad. I just read recently about two uh, mainline church denominations one of which is almost completely bankrupt as it hemorrhages members. Churches leave that denomination in droves. Another denomination is projected to cease to exist by 2030. 
I'm talking once really strong churches, once really strong denominations built on the gospel that have slowly, over time, it wasn't overnight, but slowly over time, they have distorted the gospel to fit the narrative of culture, and they will both be dead within our lifetime if nothing changes. That is a tragedy. And meanwhile, you have another group of churches like ours, and this isn't about our church, so this isn't a pat on the back, but there's a group of churches, even in our culture, in a post-Christian, post-religion culture, with denominations dying all around us, and we're growing. Not just us, churches like us. And we had to, a couple months ago, we actually had to dial back on the promotion of our Journey 101 luncheon for new guests because we are having more people show up than we could handle. I mean, we have new people in here every single week. We're seeing people come to faith. We're seeing people baptized. We're see, seeing people find community and group life. I mean, it's, it's humbling what God is doing. And listen, none of this should be happening. Like from a human perspective, it doesn't make any sense. Like we don't, we don't have like a laser show and fog machines up here, even though Pastor Mike asks for one every week. I'm like, no, Mike, I'm not getting a fog machine. Well, I, I, don't, I don't preach anything. <laughs> I don't preach anything particularly creative up here. I don't know if you guys have figured this out yet or not, but I have like one sermon that I preach and I just change the illustrations. <laughs> Some of your minds just exploded right now. Like I preach the gospel. <laughs> that's, my, that's my sermon, right? Like we come here, we sing the gospel, we preach the gospel, we try to live the gospel in community and we try to make more disciples with this gospel, That's all we do. We're not doing anything revolutionary. And the only thing that I can think of, the only reason why I can think of that God has blessed us and grown us at New Life in a culture where church denominations are dropping like flies is that we have remained faithful to his gospel. That's where the power is. And we must fight to preserve it. And that is exactly what Paul is saying to these believers in the region of Galatia. Friend, why, why would we ever trade the freedom and joy of the gospel of Jesus for anything else? Makes absolutely no sense at all. And Paul's going to conclude this portion of his letter with verse 10. Read it with me. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying still to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So these Judaizers, these false teachers that apparently come in, they had accused accused Paul of being a people pleaser. So they come in to uh, the Galatians churches and they say, yeah, yeah, Paul told you it was Jesus plus nothing, but he told you that because he wanted you to like him. See Paul, that silly little Paul, you know, he gave you half the truth. But he didn't give you the other half of the truth because he struggles with people-pleasing. So see, like Paul, Paul watered things down for you. He didn't tell you about all this other stuff that you actually have to do to get saved. He didn't tell you about circumcision and all this other religious stuff that you've got to do because Paul is a people-pleaser. As if Paul wasn't fired up enough, he's having none of this, right? So Paul's like, listen, if anyone messes with the gospel, let them be damned to hell. Who's people pleasing now, suckers, right? Yeah, let them be damned to hell. I'm not a people pleaser. 
So Paul says, look, I came. I'm here to serve Jesus. I'm not here to please men. I've chosen to serve Jesus. I mean, look, historically, Paul was abused in horrific ways. He's beaten to within an inch of his life. They tried to execute him at least once, imprisoned more times than I can count for preaching the gospel. So if anybody is not about pleasing men, it's certainly Paul. So he calls these false teachers uh, to the carpet on their bogus accusations. The truth of the matter is these Galatians were probably struggling a little bit with people pleasing themselves. He had these really smart sounding religious teachers from Jerusalem coming in and they probably wanted to please them. They didn't want to reject them. So they invited him in. They began to listen to their teachings. At the end of the day, here's the the third and final truth, and then we'll uh, begin to dock the, the ship this morning. Here it is. The gospel frees us from being people pleasers. That's good news. And that wasn't just a temptation for the people in Galatia. That's a temptation for most all of us because we all want people to like us, don't we? We all want people to like us. And we can be tempted in our lives. Churches can be tempted. Denominations can be tempted to sort of compromise and to sell out to please people. And Paul is saying, no. No, the gospel has freed you from the slavery of other people's opinions about you. Your identity is secured in Christ. If you know and follow Jesus, you are a son. You are a daughter of the God of this universe, and that frees you. The gospel is freedom. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. We're going to celebrate that freedom that Jesus purchased for us. We're going to celebrate that gospel right now in a tangible way as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So would you bow your heads with me just for a moment as the ushers come to the tables? Before we come to the tables this morning, let me just ask you one question. This is a very simple question, and I'm just going to ask you to really be honest with yourself. Just do a, a, kind of a self-inventory of your heart. And here's the question. Have you ever believed the gospel, this gospel, the real gospel, Jesus plus nothing? You can do nothing to earn it. Because the reality, here, here's my fear in our culture, particularly if you grew up in the South in a church culture, here's my fear. My fear is that there are a lot of people, there are a ton of people in our culture that know a lot of facts about Jesus, but don't know Jesus. People that just can quote scripture like nobody's business. They, they know all the right religious answers, but they have never met Jesus. Their lives have never been transformed by this gospel of freedom. And I want you to know, if you're here and that's you, I want you to know that that can change right now. It can change right now and you can come in just a couple of minutes and you can celebrate the Lord's Supper. You can celebrate the freedom that Jesus purchased for you. You can celebrate his broken body for you. You can celebrate his blood poured out for you for the first time maybe in a real way. Even if you grew up in church, maybe you need to meet Jesus today. If that's you, if you would say, man, I I know a lot about Jesus, I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I have never really been set free by this good news. 
This gospel that Jesus has done it all for me. I don't have to do anything. I can't earn it. I can never be good enough. I can never do enough to earn it. He's done it all for me. If that's you, if you say, yes, that's me, I want this. I want to start this journey with Jesus now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about these words. God sees your heart. That's where you're at. Just pray this prayer with me. God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner this morning. I'm a rebel and I can do nothing to save myself. Father, I can't be good enough. I can't do enough good works. I need Jesus to save me completely. So Father, I wanna receive Jesus now into my life. I wanna wanna live for him now. I wanna live in his freedom from now until the day that I leave this planet, God. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be your son. I wanna be your daughter. Starting right now. You just prayed that prayer. In just a minute, I'm going to invite you to the tables as a new creation in Christ. Church, would you do me a favor? Would you?